This is Jerome with episode 25 of More Life. In this episode, I actually have a couple, Ruth Vader and Marcus Drun, as my guests. And we talk about compassionate inquiry, bringing fun into seriousness, and being in the now, because change always happens in the now. Let me first tell you about Ruth. She works with clients helping them to be 100% responsible and change their victim story into a creator story. Through bodywork and compassionate inquiry, she holds a safe space for her clients to explore and understand themselves. She's worked as a paramedic and massage therapist and since 2020 been involved with compassionate inquiry and come to the realization that taking care of the body and mind is essential as it is really the only place one lives. Marcus Druin is a bridge builder between the existing system and the new one that wants to emerge. Since the pandemic, he's on an exciting and also daunting journey of stepping into his purpose and power. He helps others do the same thing as a coach, facilitator, guide and sparing partner. He's the co-founder of Audacify, Audacity Change Integrated, and the founder of the Psychedelic Map for Change, which also offers online breathwork journeys. At More Life, we explore questions such as, how can we feel more alive? And how can we create more aliveness around us from a variety of perspectives? If that's something for you, join all the others and subscribe. Okay, welcome Ruth, welcome Marcus to More Life. And I want to start right away with the question, how do you create more life as a couple? Yes, baby. How do we create more life? Yeah. Do you want to go first? You go. I go first. Well, we live in the moment and we inject a lot of fun in the seriousness of life. We create a lot of space to process difficult stuff in the moment as well. We really cherish the complementary strength to, let's say, problem solving, just real really the approach to life. We're very different when you look at it from a traits perspective. Um, so we, we're really lucky that when you look at, when we look at us, it really is one plus one is five. So it feels incredibly rich to experience life together and co-create it day by day. We communicate, reflect. And yeah, as Marcus said, we like to have, I'm very playful. I like to have fun. So I really bring that into our lives. Um, practical jokes is a, a big thing for me. <laughs> yeah. And giving space to yeah everything that shows up for us. Any challenges, we like to really work things through, validate emotions. Um, we really learned to do that together, haven't we? And we do spend a lot of time together. And that really works for us yeah um, mm. for example like our morning routine today um uh, breath work meditation stretching a walk in the woods and we even had a cold shower today as well yeah so doing things together for us creates more life together yeah mm. do, do you also work together yes we do yes yeah and we're bringing that into our world more and more now um yeah 
because we're going through a bit of a transition in our life as well. And I think by working together, that means that we'll be able to spend more time together. Um, Marcus has a son who's 14 and I'm a stepmom. So that takes up some of our time as well. So by working together, yeah, we we co-create in that area as well, don't we? Yeah, we work together. We've got some clients. I'm a coach. Ruth is a therapist. And we also bring these modalities into our relationship. So I can coach Ruth and Ruth can do compassionate inquiry with me. Um, and that's just incredible to be able to bring this home, what we do for a living. Like 20 years ago, I used to do something where it was work and then I would come home and it would be the private life. And when I look at the skills, the modalities, just it was just two completely different realms. And for me now, it feels totally integrated. Um, what we're doing for a living and how we bring this into our relationship and then also how we grow as practitioners from within as well right there's always a lived experience like I can relate to let's say there's a conflict of interest in, in one of my clients and he talks about their relationship to their people and then I can relate to that for from from within this relationship if we Let's say if I want to eat Thai and Ruth wants to eat Italian, that's a conflict of interest. And because we we really give it the space and the time, and usually we do that in the evening in the bath, um, we really are practitioners of what we're actually doing out in the world. We're practitioners inside our own lives on a daily basis. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. So when I think about my work there's no clear separation either i mean i work as a coach as well and even this podcast you know this is this is about learning about life right it's not just for work it's not just for private life i don't make that distinction usually um so i i like that it is more all-encompassing all together in, in when it comes to learning when it comes to expressing myself creatively i can do that at work i can do that in my private time in, in my non-work time let's say um one, one question that came up for me was you you said you bring a lot of fun into the seriousness can you can you elaborate on that can you give some examples of that yeah just for example this morning we like to, when we're out in the woods, we like to pick up stones and throw them at targets. So we we do that. We're hanging and climb, tree climbing. We enjoy doing that. Um, yeah. What else do we do? We use uh, our joint stretching and yoga practice to just have fun, have music involved in it, start getting into dancing. Um, and we're obviously a couple, so it's quite nice to have the space also, I guess, in a in an intimate way, right, when no one's watching. It's just everything seems to flow from one into, into another. And one of the things that I was not when I before I met Ruth is I was not particularly easygoing, lighthearted. I was quite serious, quite heavy. We can dive into that if you like, quite angry as well. And I just got absolutely inspired by how Ruth basically doesn't take herself too serious. And it really rubbed off. And we have so many different nicknames for various moments and purposes. I mean, there was a time where we just constantly refer to each other as Numpty One and Numpty Two. Mm -hmm. And we are the babies. 
And there are lots of nicknames that we won't share on this podcast. And it just constantly lends itself to laughter, not the shallow banter, but really the, like, even if we just look at each other like this, like, it's <laughs> just, you see, I just can't help but laugh because I feel like someone is looking at me and constantly gives me the, mind, the reminder, just don't take yourself too serious, mate. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. and I think for me, the um, sometimes the, the anger was quite hard for me to be with. So for me, turning that into kind of a play for element, kind of taking the mickey yeah. out of Marcus almost really helped um, turn that into something else. Yeah, more uh, expansive. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And we had this phrase where we would always say, um, what was that phrase we used to say? Oh, gosh, it's gone out of my mind now. Um, what how does it go? How does it go? <laughs> when someone would just do something we would constantly invite the other person to reenact it for, for, for the entertainment purpose of the other. How does it go? And then the other person would basically just do that a little bit more extreme. And that just creates, well, our own comedies, really. Yeah. It's just daily comedy. We don't watch TV or Netflix or anything like that. So we just create it here live in person. Yeah. Uh. And, and I, I think I, I wonder maybe um, people listening as well, what helped you, Ruth? I mean, you probably have a full toolkit of of techniques that you use. What helped you uh, deal with the anger and not take it personal? Yeah. So we both. For me, how did I deal with it? You um, go first. By, yeah, through my work, through the work of Dr. Gabor Mate and being a compassionate inquirer practitioner and knowing about triggers. Um, yeah, and being able to, yeah, detach from someone else's experience um, and not make it about myself. So doing that work as a therapist has, has really helped me. And in particular, um, witnessing Marcus's son as well um going through his emotions and learning how to really hold space for him without wanting to control or change or fix what was happening for him so um yeah Mateo has been a massive teacher Marcus's son has been a real large teacher in my life yeah with processing Mm -hmm. emotions and allowing everything to be here Mm-hmm. maybe you can uh, just give some details on the compassionate inquiry i i'm familiar with gabo mate's work but it would be great to for the context of this conversation to know a bit more about it yeah compassionate inquiry is an approach it's a trauma-informed approach and um it's looking at everyday challenges and realizing that our triggers and things that we present in 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 present life more often than not we'll go back to something that's happened in the past so it's making that distinction and giving space to the body the implicit memory to really um process unmetabolized emotions um anything that's that's stuck there um looking at beliefs core beliefs core limiting beliefs that we have those stories and and reframing so almost going back and reparenting ourselves um yeah because trauma the way that 
I've learned trauma is not what happens to you, it's what happens within you. So it's not actually the event, but it happens, whatever happens, the constriction that happens within that moment inside the body. So it's allowing that to process. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, let me double click on that and uh, illustrate that with an example. So a few months ago, when my business partner was here, Christian, uh, who I do Audacify with the change coaching slash consultancy that I have, an email came in and it basically hit me with the threat, the risk of, and it turned out to be real, um, to, to having to give someone a substantial amount of money back that I don't have. And I went into an absolute freeze response. My whole body, I couldn't even feel my feet underneath my, uh, the, the, the floor underneath my feet. And normally I would go into story. I would try to make sense of it. I would get into blame, either blaming myself or any other circumstances. And through Ruth's work, and, and this is a great example of how we can bring the modalities into our life, you know, you basically got me out of the story straight away into my body. And I was I just sat there over there in the kitchen on a chair next to the fridge. And I could just feel that sensation of this is what it felt like as a child when I was threatened. Because um, I have quite some quite some childhood trauma. Um, and just by being with that sensation in the body, I actually realized what Ruth was talking about for years now, um, that it's okay to have that feeling, that sensation, that emotion. It's important to embrace it. It's important to be with it. Don't judge it. Don't try to push it away. Don't try to rationalize it. Just by just accepting that this is what now happens inside my body as a response to the external threat, that already shifted it. That was mm -hmm. such a profound experience because I have a high threshold for these type of things. Sometimes when we did compassionate inquiry, I was a bit like, <laughs> I don't really feel anything. But this one was the perfect moment to actually really experience what this modality can really, really achieve. And it made a profound difference. And now looking back, so three, four months ago, it did change the trajectory of my life and how I deal with these type of issues and, and, and risks. Um, so, yeah. It so there, there are no, sorry, there are no stories involved anymore, ideally. Um, so in the moment when you get, when I get triggered, I guess my standard, my default pattern is I go into my inner critic, like in my mm -hmm. internal family system, that person is called Sven. It's a German name, and I associate that with someone I don't like. And someone says, well, that's your inner critic, so call him Sven. Um, and yeah, Sven just goes straight into blaming, blaming myself, mm -hmm. blaming other people, um, ruminating a lot. And I just learned to detach the bodily sensation, which is real, and I know exactly where that comes from. I felt like that as a child hundreds of times. Um, but it doesn't say anything about me because a lot of the things that trigger me are actually all about me. They're about other people's process, about their issues. But then learning how to entangle that and to really know what's mine and what's theirs, that's where I feel personally for me, CI, Compassionate Inquiry, is such a powerful modality because I'm quite good in rationalizing things. And this was very new to me to get into the body. 
Um, I've got some Asperger or autistic traits. I'm not quite sure I would qualify for a diagnosis and I've never been diagnosed. My son is. And for decades, when people said, how does it feel? And when you ask me, where does it feel in the body? I even got angry about not being able to locate where that feels in the body. As a com for me, there, for decades, there was a complete disconnect between what was in my head and what was in the body. And through CI, through psychedelics, through, through I had talk therapy for 10 years, um, meditation, yoga, lots of different modalities. I finally got into my body and I'm really, really glad I found that um that body of wisdom mm -hmm. you know the idea is really to be able to respond to these situations rather than react so that's the ultimate yeah i think the ultimate goal really is rather than having that initial reaction or having that reaction being able to hold that and like marcus says without that story and then consciously not making a decision of how do I now respond to that? And is this fear really um, quantified for, for whatever is happening in that moment? Yeah. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, nice. Good work. I'm, I'm really happy that you're able to support each other in that way and, and can become more alive because of that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's timely and it makes it's a commitment. It really is a commitment. And we are very blessed to be able to have that time to be able to do that together. We have the time and we make the time. Yeah, yeah. we make the time. Yeah, we have one uh, sort of, I guess, it's one of our standard stories we we shared a few years back. And it, it really encoded the, yeah, really the, the quality and the DNA of this relationship and what's what what's important to us, what we pay attention to. We were in Berlin, it was the last day and we wanted to get to the East uh, Berlin Gallery Museum and Ruth had a profound dream and uh, something very difficult came up with her ex and we gave it the whole day space. So mm. we didn't go and do sightseeing we could have done this technically speaking at home in our bed but that was just what was alive for you at the time and it was very profound and i don't think it would have been the same if we had waited for a day and just process this on our return yeah i mean it's your your process do you want to speak to that no mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. but it is giving stuff space in the moment that we find so valuable yeah. And, and the reason why we do that is in my line of work in uh, executive coaching, transformative coaching, or also I'm, I'm, a, I'm a change catalyst working with organizations for 25 years on, on how to change yourself and the culture and all the rest of it. One of the truisms or the mantras is change can only happen in the here and now. Right. Yeah. So we got this moment. And if we want to change, there needs to be usually a shift in a thought, in a in a belief, in a in a mental model, in that moment, because if you talk about change, you're talking about something that will or might not happen in the future. If you reflect on something yesterday, then you do that. But but to actually shift something, you only have this moment, and that's I guess our big epiphany was that when you live in a relationship, yeah. In my previous marriage, we just were constantly busy and just work life family but also stuff that nowadays is just not worth paying attention to 
And the, the one thing that I knew when I when I dated again and, and I met Ruth is I want to find a partner who really wants to spend the time to develop. Like when we talk about Robert Keegan's vertical adult development, like how to grow your capacity for life. It's a practice. You you don't you don't get that by just reading books or, or listening to podcasts. You have to do something. And so, from where I came from and what I didn't get, how I didn't get my needs met in that department in my marriage, I knew that I wanted to have someone who's actually almost a bit obsessed with this, like me. And some of the people at the time, of whom some are not in my life anymore, they said, "Oh my God, Marcus, just fucking relax. This is just so heavy. This is so." Talk, so, so like, wow, all this development, just have a drink and relax. And I'm like, no, thanks. I don't want that. Yeah. And so we stopped drinking and this is coming up to three years now. And we, we just find that what we experience on a daily basis, whether that's big or small, is actually the most interesting thing to then further reflect on and contemplate on, deconstruct and see if there's anything that we can just learn from and grow and, and create more life, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and when we met, I was so keen to be authentic, to speak my truth. So that was how our relationship started, was with radical honesty. And there were some kind of big, what I perceived as big challenges in my life that I wanted to share with Marcus that I hadn't shared um, with a partner before. Um, and that really set our relationship off in a, a really good path, um, opened up the doors to, yeah, to being authentic and to, to speaking our truth as hard as it can be. Um, and yeah, I think one of them that I would, I would like to just name here, which I found incredibly hard, was just to tell Marcus that I had herpes um, and mm. yeah, wondering what the response would be to, to that because um, I'd never shared it with a partner before um and that in itself was a moment of connection and openness openness that that disclosure allowed marcus to to share things with me as well and that was one of a, a key moment in our relationship without a doubt yeah and and what ruth couldn't have known so when i listened to this i was driving in cornwall uh back from a surf trip and I had an STD a few years before, a horrendous one. So I thought like, yeah, that woman is my cup of tea. This must have been four or five weeks or less, four or five weeks into our relationship. And I thought, yes, this is a woman that if she can share this, she will share all the other bones in the cupboard. And we did that almost, I wouldn't say on plan. There wasn't a schedule, but it was within the first three months that literally everything, all the cards came on the table and there was quite a lot as you can imagine we had lived lives from before we were both in codependent relationships meet 13 years and both 17 years and almost like on the pinnacle of this sharing basically you you said to me said look babe you got a son you got a business you're separated not divorced yet this is a lot for you to take on if you actually really want me in your life as as your long-term girlfriend um and I want you to be serious about it. So why don't you have a think? And I did. And I had a whole week where, apart from work and stuff like that, I really thought about this so hard. And then on the weekends, I actually asked psilocybin mushrooms to give me a clear 
answer on, on whether I want this or not. And then at four o'clock in the morning, when I started to come down, I, I gave you a call. And I think I must have opened the call with, now I know what my therapist always meant when she said, Marcus, love is a choice. Hmm. You, you're confusing love with being in love with someone, but love is a choice. And it never really resonated with me. And in that moment, it did for the first time, because I knew that if I want this relationship, I would choose you for exactly who you are, for who you are not, what you can do, what you can't do, and that that is okay. And that was the, for me, from my perspective, at least, that was the, that was the birth moment, as I said earlier, right? Things shift moment by moment. That moment turned me from an ex-codependent husband into an intentional development partner because mm. I chose intentionally you with everything that you came yeah and another key moment for us was when Matteo Marcus's son moved in mm. and yeah I actually said to Marcus actually really asked me if this is something that I want so I can make that conscious choice um, and that was a, a powerful moment for me, it was almost like a marriage proposal. <laughs> it was like it. I did ask you, do you want to be the stepmom of my son? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, mm. that was a, yeah. So I could go into that fully committed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Now, I know that often relationship problems come from uh, one, not seeing the other as who the other really is, but having some kind of like an, a perception, an avatar, maybe uh, a, a dream fantasy of who that person is uh, and the other way around. And that, of course, leads to problems. Now, you shared that for you, authenticity, honesty is really, really important. And uh, I'm I'm supposing that sometimes there might be a thought of like, oh, am I really going to share this? And if that is the case, I want to know, what do you tell yourself to motivate yourself to go forward? Great question. Um, yeah, and those moments do happen. Um, how do I mo motivate myself? Because I know the the sensations, the feelings, the discord it would create within my own body, um, the constriction. So that's what really motivates me and also knowing that yeah Marcus is a safe space for me to share we have that commitment to each other that we can share everything and anything um yeah and we do shall I give a few examples yeah yeah so we both have addictive personalities and Radical honesty means radical honesty. It's black and white. There cannot be any wrinkle that is not either or, meaning it, yeah, I either share everything or it's the beginning or the end. At least that's how I see the world, with, given where I come from, who I am, what I'm made of, what my trauma is, and, and so forth. And so I used to have quite a, a combination, like a, like, a, like a conjoined addiction between smoking weed and watching porn and, and masturbating like in a really bad way. Um, it took out literally years of my life um, over the decades. And so luckily that's all behind me. 
got when there is a relapse, which is probably four or five times a year, or am I deluded? Not that many. Not that many, yeah. no. There is no way I could not share that. No way. And we even have certain, they're not written down rules, but we have protocols, kind of like really have protocols and principles for everything in our relationship. And I think it's sort of, it's like, it's okay to sleep on it, but you got to tell it on the next day. Don't sleep on it twice. That mm. starts to feel a bit odd then for the for the other person. Um, so that's one of my examples. Do you, do you want to share one or no? Okay. Yeah, re really interesting. Um, so one thing that I that I notice when I look back at um, sharing uh, and specifically sharing things that uh, potentially like annoy me in my partner um, or where I don't feel 100% comfortable with, I might sleep on it. And then on the next day I say, oh, well, it was not that big. I'm not going to mention it. And um, I know that that is still something that I'm working on, on not deluding myself with, oh, it's actually not a big deal. You know, I'm, I, I see myself as a very, very, very flexible person, um, but I cannot, I cannot be flexible all the time. So that, that is one of my, my issues that I need to be very careful with actually speaking those things out even if they are small things yeah me too I can be very flexible very accommodating and yeah certain things like Marcus is if I may say so a little bit less organized than me particularly around the home I like to be very yeah I like to know where everything is so yeah if there's too many I don't know towels left on the floor I do I like to I name it I have to name it, otherwise it does brew inside me. Um, and yeah, you're very good at receiving um, that and you do make adjustments. But I think for me, it's also knowing that we both have our own, own different qualities and we bring different aspects of that into the relationship. So for me, sometimes when I see things lying about that are only my own triggers, I can step into more of a a place of gratitude for everything that Marcus does bring and does do rather than harboring these what could be deemed as quite trivial um, things. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm grateful that you have the capacity because I'm a big picture visionary thinker. And a lot of the time, the mundane stuff is just literally not on my radar. It's not even bad intention. Like, I'm not going to do this because I can't be asked. It's just like, oh, what? There's a towel. I didn't see it again. And I really don't. Um, and it's for me not to take that personally, not make it mm. mean, oh, I'm being disrespected or, um, yeah. And so, so let me just double click on one thing that we learned by by doing and it it wasn't particularly easy i think it was probably harder for me than perhaps for you is that when someone basically puts the hand up and shares something that's really difficult and then the other person goes into the holding space role it really is important that you can keep your own shit out right because then sometimes what might be your challenge let's say with your ex-boyfriend 
I then start to take it personal, thinking like, oh, maybe I'm like this as well. But if I hold space for Ruth, then I need to be really, really rock solid in myself to do that, because in that moment it's actually a service and it 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 it, it must not convolute or pollute your process, because otherwise you go very quickly from intentional development partnership into codependency. And we have the propensity for that. But we, it's, it's not like it's not. I don't think we have any big issues in our relationship, but when things flare up quickly and or briefly, when there's some little sort of like ripples on the surface, at least I can still notice in myself, wow, that narcissistic inner child, that's still there. It still lives in me. It's just that I've designed a life that helps this person, this part in me to just be really quiet, but it can still flare up. And with my son, I would say it's probably the only human being where that really sometimes, again, four or five times a year, just comes out with full brunt, like in three seconds. So it's such a reminder that um, we can we can outgrow our problems a lot by by lifestyle design. And deep inside, what has triggered us in the past as a child can always trigger us. I, I, I'm not immune to that. And it's just such a strong reminder um, to just show up every morning and do your best. And that's why I do a morning routine. Like I am a lot more uh, palatable, a lot more. I create more surface area for regenerative interactions with other people than if I didn't do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nice. Um, well, well, actually, let me let me ask you another question based on that. Um, for both of you individually, but I'm sure there are lots of parts of it shared. What are the ideal? Uh, how does the ideal day look like? What kind of routines do you do? What kind of things would you ideally do? Dance, <laughs> move listen to music and kind of yeah let loose that i enjoy yeah we enjoy music in our lives don't we we enjoy music um an ideal day is waking up naturally um reflecting on dreams we like to reflect on our dreams and just have a little kind of sense making of yeah what does that what are they showing us um and then doing the wim hof breathing as we talked about um we do a Sam Harris meditation. We've started doing 20 minutes. You were doing 10 before, finding that really valuable. Um, stretching, some form of stretching, uh, free flowing. And yeah, being in the woods, getting outside. Um, and the cold shower is really valuable as well. Um, and then in between our own work, um, more often than not, I'll prepare us some of some food. So we always eat together. Um, yeah. And then moving into the evening, we always have a bath together. Um, that's a really nice ritual. So we can share moments throughout the day. Um, and yeah, wind down together. We like to get into bed together without the phones, no technology in the bedroom. Um, and yeah, reflect. Mm. Yeah. And I noticed that in terms of work coaching, I like it the most. I would I think I got good. This is a good season, a good a good run at the moment with the clients I have. 
I just love to work for about four hours, whether that's mm -hmm. from 10 to two or from 12 to four. It's just super focused. I, I have a, I think one of my qualities is I can be so laser focused and blend anything out to the point that I would five times walk over that towel that's on the floor. Um, and that's just for me, if I compare my life today with like 10, 15 years ago where I was an employee, I was commuting, it's just completely, it's a completely different life and it's definitely more life. And of course we need to have an income and we actually, we actually have set ourselves a big challenge for next summer to make, a, to hit a certain, um, yeah, just a certain amount of income in let's say liquid assets, because right now there is no retirement age. We have no assets that would ever allow us to retire. So right now, retirement age is the day we die. And yeah, I just got that insight from the last few months that my dream life, to sort of like come back to your question, everything that Ruth said and we said, and then in terms of work, to have client work for four hours a day, Mondays to Fridays or maybe Mondays to Thursdays, because that would be more than we need to actually have that financial independence and, and retire at some point. And then after that, just whatever wants to emerge. I love, I'm, I'm, I did a lot of work in agile, agile transformations in organizations. And one of the mantras there is sense and response. So my idea afternoon is that I, I, I pay attention to something that in the moment I really, really want to do because that's when I do my best work. If I feel I need to do something, I can be the chief procrastinator until the cows come home. <laughs> okay, great. Thank you. Um, now to, to bring the podcast to an end, I want to uh, come back to something you said, which is change comes, does not come from listening to a podcast. So is there anything that you would encourage the listeners to do in the here and now, maybe while they're still listening to the last words? So what works really well for me is when something happens, when I talk to someone, when I'm writing something, when I'm listening to someone, it could be anything. I notice when something is just slightly different than maybe yesterday. That's just slightly out of my pattern, just, just a tiny little bit more left or right. Or, and in that moment, I have cultivated a habit, like a micro ritual, and it could only be a second. It doesn't have to be long and tedious. And sometimes when you're in meetings, it's a bit weird to close your eyes for 10 seconds and just go into your process, but just like, this is change. So just to acknowledge it, because the more you notice it and the more you acknowledge it, the more you will do it. And you, you will cultivate the capacity to notice change in the moment and, and, and simultaneously, like in a non-dual way, to be the practitioner on the field, on the dance floor, and at the same time to be the observer on the on the metaphoric balcony. And, and that to me is almost the that's the lead domino for, for anything that I want to change in my life. That, that, that moment by moment noticing of, oh, just right now, I didn't go into Sven in a critic mode. I actually went into compassion mode when I saw this person posted, posting this on, on LinkedIn and to acknowledge it and to celebrate it. Yes. Yeah. Nice. And for me, 
Um, right now, I'm experiencing my heart is beating quite fast as I listen to Marcus and you ask that question. And Marcus comes up with what I perceive as this really coherent intellectual answer. Like, how am I going to respond to that? And I just notice my heart beating, um, knowing that we're drawing this podcast to a close. How should, how can I end this? But yeah, by really giving space to what I'm experiencing within my body um, and then coming in with yeah a voice that says it's okay, you're okay, um, and giving that space. So yeah, validating my experience, my internal world. Thank you. And thank you for being so authentic with saying that. That's great. It's 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 great. It's a great way to show what it means to live from that authenticity. Um yeah. So I want to thank you both for being here on the podcast. And I'll put links in the description in case people want to find out more about what you do, the work that you do. And for now, I just want to thank you so much and hope you have a good rest of the day. Wonderful. Thank you for thank holding you. the space for us. Thank you for listening. Please share the insights you've had. By doing that, you may well lighten up the day of another person. Subscribe to get notified about new episodes and leave a rating or comment in your app to help others find more life. If you have requests for future topics or suggestions for fitting guests, let me know. Thanks again and hopefully until next time.